This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who podcast. Rumours of my death have been greatly exaggerated. It's massive to be back here with Trevor and James. So, what better? A geek out. Yes, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast and at long last, after what feels like an extremely long time, mm. Tom, Trev and I are back in the camper van. Hello guys. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and it seems like a long time because it has been a long time. Hello Tom. Hello, hello. It, oh, well, it, you know what, I, I've, I've been driving around in the car with little stuffed replicas of you two arguing with you. That's how bad it's been. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I don't mind about the arguing because that's normal. Uh, but stuffed replicas of us recently? <laughs> How much work did you put into this? And don't tell me you've got moles in character options now. <laughs> no, no, not so. Um, the uh, the figurines that I have of you are made out of gaffer tape and hair. Mine must be the one with all the extra padding around the waist. <laughs> of it. Either that or the one with all the pins sticking out of it, I reckon. Well, you know, I didn't want to say anything. But yeah, you seem to have been doing quite well without me, actually. I've heard my replacements. They're actually rather good. They're not really a dandy or a clown, are they? No. This is a slight problem, I think, with a, with a successful podcast, because thanks to you listeners, we are now the most successful we've ever been. We have round about eight or 9,000 people regularly download a new episode of the DWP. And as a result, we've got some really talented people willing to share their time and and basically fill Tom's seat when he's not here uh, in, in the camper van. <laughs> They're lining up. They're lining up indeed. And the last couple of weeks, I think have been it's been the first time I've been able to download an episode of the Doctor Who podcast and have absolutely no idea what I'm going to hear. And uh, it's great stuff. But So yes, I'm now thoroughly enjoying listening to our podcast as well. I get that same feeling before I start recording, actually, whereas you get it when you listen to it, I get it just before I turn the microphone on. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. So, Leeson, Ian, Michelle, thank you very much indeed, and uh, it will be great to hear you in future episodes of the Doctor Who podcast as well. But yes, normal service is resumed this week, and we're going to have a geek out. We've we've got a loose title this time, uh, just just to mix things up a little bit. And after two years of having a certain Mister Moffat in charge of this program, we thought it was about time. We sat down and took a look at his work. Is Moffat delivering? Well, I, I saw this in our schedule and I was very much looking forward to geeking out about Moffat. But I, I'm going to ask, uh, I suppose I'm going to pose your question with another question. Um, what does Moffat delivering actually mean? Um, is it delivering popular stories? Is it um, delivering us a, a season-long arc which has kept viewers intrigued? Uh, is it harking or, or, or trying to recreate what Doctor Who is at its core really about? So all of those questions could really have different answers. So I'd be interested to hear um, exactly what Moffat is delivering that we need to be uh, talking about. Well, originally, I think it was a longer sentence and it was, is Moffat delivering what we are expecting? And I think what we are expecting is a very good place to start. So let's let's have Tom. Tom, you've been absent for the longest. What were you expecting from Stephen Moffat when you heard that he was going to be taken over from RTD? Um, okay, interesting. I, I was expecting um, something new, unusual and dark because I'm kind of familiar with the canon of Stephen Moffat in as much as Stephen Moffat's work has been with me uh, in one way or another, in the background of everything I've been doing while I've been growing up, you know, so things like press gang, uh, joking apart, chalk, coupling, his writing is there. It's very much part of the landscape uh, in British drama and, and, com and comedy. So he's always been there. So when I heard he was going to be writing some episodes for Doctor Who, I've got to say, Empty Child, Doctor Dances, Blink, were the most Hinchcliffe-like 
episodes in the new series. They were the historicals, they were the dark ones, they were the frightening ones. So when I heard he was taking over, I thought, this is great, because it's going to be a shift in terms of going from bright, big, bold, cartoon-like into something which is quite quite dark, quite frightening, quite intimate, and quite claustrophobic. And in fairness, I think that's what we've got. We've got character development, we've got a new TARDIS, we've got a, we've got a very much a new Doctor Who, so... I've got what I wanted, and you can. F- and to be honest with you, you can feel it from the moment uh, David Tennant lets go, and it's all very high drama, and it's all about him, and it's all very, and it's, it's all quite, it's all quite soap opera, really. I mean, it's very good, but it's very soap opera. And then suddenly, there's a burst of energy, and Matt Smith arrives, and it's frightening, and it's dark, and it's fast. I mean, you can hear it in the music. So yeah, I'm I'm really happy with what we've been getting so far. And I've got to say, the episodes that are stamped with Stephen Moffat are brilliant, but the ones where you can see his hand moving behind the name that's on the credits are even better <laughs> how about you trev yeah it, it's an interesting question i i do agree with you talking about the philip pinchcliffe influence mm. it kind of is in reverse i mean we've gone from the light and frothy rtd to the dark and mysterious moffat it's almost like a mm. reverse to what happened in the classic series where we went from dark hinchcliffe to light and frothy graham williams mm-hmm. and you know sort of j and t type of story so um having already known the, the stories that Stephen Moffat had penned for the series, uh, like you're saying Blink and Silence in the Library and all that sort of stuff, um, I did expect some very tightly plotted stories. I expected some intelligent stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I expected a, a darker tone to my Doctor Who now, certainly for at least some of the stories um, in the range, and we certainly saw that in Series 5, and it ramped up to 11 for, for Series 6. So, yeah, I, I, I was expecting, I suppose, more, if I want to use one word, maybe just adult Doctor Who, um, Doctor Who written for a slightly um, older age group. You mm. say that as if, it's not, as if you've not received that. Um, well, that's, that's probably a question for later on, mm. um, which, which is why I sort of mentioned at the beginning my, my confusion about what question we were actually supposed to be answering here today, because, um, like I said, those questions can all have very, very different answers. Mm. Okay, fair enough. James, you can't ask the question to yourself, so I'll ask you, what, what, what were you expecting? I don't really know, <laughs> which was a real problem. Oh, I was expecting <laughs> a change. No, no, it's not a cop-out. It, it, I was expecting a change. One thing I did know, but it, by the time we got to the end of time, I was ready for a change. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting how Trevor refers to, I think, you know, implicitly, some of the RTD stories as light and frothy, because... There were some incredibly dark stories in in RTD's era, uh, ones that came from his pen as well. I mean, you look at the end of time itself and and Midnight, and I don't really think we ever saw such dark Doctor Who um, since it had been brought back in 2005. And in a way, I think Moffat has done the opposite. I think he has really ramped up the the lightness of the episodes in, in certain stories, in certain stories. Um, and I think what we've now got is a Doctor of greater extremes. When he's silly, we have got a really manic, crazy Doctor. Light, if you like. Um, I'm trying to think of the right way of putting it. Light in tone, I guess, is, is correct. And I'm thinking of episodes like The Lodger, and, and closing time, and the opposite end of the extreme, you've you've got some scenes in A Good Man Goes to War where you don't get a more darker Doctor. Uh, certainly in the last two years, I mean he's he's actually quite scary. Um, he's, he's seen as a force to be reckoned with. Uh, in fact, that's the whole basis of the Madame Cavarian story. I mean, she is there to bring the Doctor down, and and River says the Doctor will fall so far into such a dark place. And I, I think we've got a very, very different Doctor Who being delivered to us by Stephen Moffat. But does it really line up with what I was expecting? I'm not sure. I think I was with most fans and I was hoping, not expecting, hoping that we were going to get Girl in the Fireplace, Empty Child, Blink, week in, week out for 13 episodes. Mm. And have we, have we been delivered that? No, we haven't, because we still get, you know, Curse of the Black Spot, and we still get Night Terrors. Um, so I, I, it, it's a very difficult question to answer. What was I expecting? I'm not quite sure, but I'm quite pleased with what we've got as a whole, I think. It's interesting you say that. As, as I'm listening to you, what I'm thinking we've got is 
a fan of the show who happens to be a producer rather than a producer who's a fan of the show, if that makes any, it probably <laughs> makes very little sense. Um, what I'm thinking is, well, as I'm listening to you saying, you know, I was expecting Darker Doctor Who, I'm maybe confusing that with, with hearing you say that I want Darker Doctor Who, which to me would be shooting the show in the head. I mean, I, it doesn't need to be any darker than it currently is. It doesn't need to be any yeah. more serious than it currently is because that would just destroy its core audience, which are, I hate to say it's a, fa- a family audience and the, and the younger ends of families as well. So if you, if you start making it into Brecht or you start making it into this dense Faustian tale of a man who's lost his soul, suddenly it just alienates half the audience. So I think Stephen Moffat's got the balance actually pretty well right. No, I, I agree as well. I just think he's taken the extremes, mm. you know, further than Russell T Davies ever did. And I'm not entirely certain you have got a Doctor Who that does appeal to families in the same way uh, that the latter half of the Russell T Davis era no, did. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's not scientific, but I use the litmus test of my mum, who I've said on many occasions <laughs> will watch anything, and <laughs> she really hasn't been enamoured with the Matt Smith Doctor at all because I think she doesn't expect her Doctor Who to be so serious, so right. layered, so yeah. season-long involved and it's kind of what I'm getting from some of my workmates too that they're they're casual watchers of the show but they're just getting a little bit bemused by um, all that's going on I mean I I sit in the next pod to a manic Doctor Who fan who who devours it all and she came to me yesterday and just we spent 20 minutes trying to dissect the River Song story arc because she just didn't understand it and and I don't think she did at the end Um, I'm all for stories being a little bit complex and requiring a bit of thinking but when that's going to be at the expense arguably of your casual audience is that warranted? Do we have such a large energetic fan base now that it doesn't matter if we lose the casual viewers anymore? The casual casual viewer is exactly what it's all about sorry but I'm interrupting go on no, you're right. All I was going to say was, I think if we had said that about the classic era, if we lost the casual fan, which I think we did in the classic era, gotcha. yeah. then that, that was the death knell of the show. Yeah. But we're having the same situation, I think, for different reasons now, that maybe we are losing some of the audience due to its, in inverted commas, complexity. I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure whether or not it's due to its complexity or whether it's due to a completely off-the-wall portrayal of Matt Smith. And it's interesting to hear the reaction uh, of, of your mum because my parents are very similar. I think they can tolerate a, a complicated storyline and it's good that Doctor Who has got the ability to shift its format one season to the next and it's been doing that, frankly, for the last 50 years. Um, what I think is a slightly more interesting decision Moffat has taken is to make the 11th Doctor so strange. Now, I mean, if you look at the 10th Doctor, there were times when he displayed a bit of an alien quality. I'm thinking of two examples, one of which was in Fear Her, when he didn't seem to think it was a particularly strange thing to do to put your hand into a jar of marmalade <laughs> yeah, right yeah. I, I, it's quite a good comic moment i i, I quite like that and uh, the other moment was in one of moffat's scripts actually the girl in the fireplace where the doctor acted drunk now that was a bit out there as well and a bit wacky but generally speaking the 10th doctor was very accessible to someone who didn't follow doctor who religiously i'm not so certain matt smith has got that same kind of attraction and I'm not sure whether it's due to his portrayal or whether it's due to the way Moffat mm. has written him I'll ask you both a very leading question because I'm I'm interested in your answer because it might provoke another question do you think the Matt Smith Doctor is more similar to other Doctors other than the 10th or even the 9th Doctor? Yes. Do you think he has more in common with yes. them? I, it depends I think he's got the most in common with the 6th Doctor and the 1st Doctor because I'm kind of wondering, because we said before on the show how I think the 10th Doctor years really cemented this massive core audience that the show has now. Everyone loves David Tennant. He still has a massive fan base, even though he's not the Doctor anymore. I'm wondering whether now we've gone to Matt Smith. He's just such a... And he's morphed into such a massive difference from what the 10th Doctor was like that people just aren't accepting him. and They're saying, oh, he's nothing like David Tennant. Well, he's even further removed from the Ninth Doctor. I mean, the Ninth Doctor and the Eleventh Doctor, if you put them together now, um, you know, you've got a fantastic recipe, actually, for a lot of friction um, in the same (laughs) way that you would get in the Three Doctors, perhaps, because the Ninth Doctor was dark, brooding, he was serious, and he was slightly scarred. The Eleventh Doctor is flippant to the point of madness at times. 
And I can't help thinking the Ninth Doctor will just think, oh my God, this is this is what I'm going to become. Um, I, I think there's a lot more in common, not just with the 11th Doctor, but for all of the 11th Doctor's era and the way Moffat writes a script with past classic Who. And you look at some of the, mo- the more crazy moments of Colin Baker's television era and you you've just got Matt Smith there you know you've got the the, the weird looks um you've got the off the hand comments I mean there's a harshness within the sixth doctor that the 11th doctor demonstrates sometimes um and and certainly there's the erraticness of the very first doctor a lot of people refer instantly to the seventh and the second and I've never really seen the comparisons between those two doctors and the 11th doctor the thing I want to discuss with both of you is something you've mentioned. I'm not sure that fans are being lost. I haven't seen a huge downturn in viewer numbers, and if anything, I see that the show continues to win awards. I mean, it's only this week that um, Matt Smith and Karen Gillan won awards for Best Actor and Actress at the NTA Awards, so I'm not sure that anyone's being lost. Perhaps what is happening is that the generation who first switched on to Chris Eccleston are now six years older than they were, which is enough time for a 10-year-old to become a teenager. So you've got a churn, if you like, of audience. So people who come into the show in 2005 have grown up now, uh, or are growing up now, in the same way as we did when we when we first got Tom Baker. And and that's to me is the point of this. When I grew up, it was Tom Baker was my doctor, and Peter Davison was something new. That you know, there's a whole generation of Doctor Who viewers who are having exactly the same experience because they came into it with this guy in a leather jacket who, who I suggest to you is actually quite paranoid and scared and reluctantly heroic in the Ninth Doctor. They got the multicolored, huge personality of David Tennant and now they're into Matt Smith so it, it's just what happened before but happening again yeah but what 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 does that actually mean for the characterization of Doctor I mean how does that explain that sure I'm I'm on board with you saying that we've got a group of fans now that have been with the show since 2005 mm. that you know have have grown up with the show just like we did when we were kids mm. but does that mean that that audience now will accept any characterization, you know, they're quite happy to accept that Matt Smith is this off-the-wall weird character now. I, I'm not really understanding how having that audience growing up with it kind of, I don't know, excuses or explains the Matt Smith characterization. I, I, I don't think it, exp- it excuses or explains it. Like, there's no way I could hope to speak for nine million people. I can't. You know, I've only, I've only got my opinion. What I'm saying is, although we might find it a little bit difficult to, to, to take... Well, I, I've got to be honest, I personally don't. I really like his characterization. We might find it hard to adjust. There's lots of people who don't. If the question is, what do I think of Matt Smith's characterization, the answer is, I really like it. It's, it's all of the Doctors. I do get the feeling that um, the more Doctors there are, the more two minutes to midnight this whole thing becomes in as much as if you know the wider the sample that you've got i.e. the more actors that play it the easier it is to see bits of other actors because when it comes down to it he's just a he's a caucasian male from england um and after a bit they are going to be very very similar i mean the only way you could really break that is to have a woman or um, a non-caucasian in there because otherwise it becomes very very easy to see elements of the other 10 in what the 11th is doing yeah and fans want to as well remember because that's all part of the fun of being a fan you like thinking, oh, he's channeling the second Doctor there, he's channeling the sixth Doctor. In, in all honesty, he probably isn't. It's just that every single style possible um, has already been used in the past, and we're able to pick and choose from 50 years' worth of back catalogue to mm. say, oh, he's a really good actor because he's picking out Sylvester McCoy for this particular scene. Mm. Um, what, what I find slightly um, worrying, and uh, it's interesting, Tom, you said a little while ago that um, you're wondering if, whether or not people are being lost. I mean, the audience numbers are down. Uh, I, I don't think it's particularly alarming, um, but the average um, viewing figures to season six were down not only on season five, but also on um, any of, of uh, RTD's era. It's, it's minuscule when you're talking about a very small amount in real terms, mm. and the more important statistic, the AI figure, mm. is, is just as high. Good. Uh, so I think it's being appreciated by those who are watching it just as much. Um, but the question as to whether or not this Doctor Who or this brand of Doctor Who has got the broad appeal, I think is a fascinating one, and I tend to side with Trev a little bit. I think if you were to start watching the show now... Um, doesn't matter how old you are, you probably would drop the show 
after a couple of years of Matt Smith because he does border on the irritating at times. And That's an I, opinion, I, not a fact, though. Of course it is. But it's an opinion that I've heard expressed far more frequently than I ever did mm. uh, about David Tennant or Eccleston. Um, and I've not, not, I'm not talking about the internet. It's people who I try and indoctrinate <laughs> into Doctor Who at work. Have you watched any Matt Smith as the Doctor? Mm. And they said, yeah, but he, he come across as a bit of a strange, odd bloke. And I think, well, he's always been strange and odd. Mm. And they say, well, this is in a way that I find quite irritating. And I experienced that very much so in, in last year's Christmas special. Um, I think some people love it. Don't get me wrong. I, do, I yeah. think you know. Yeah. Well, there you go. You know, you you watch the Doctor going around each of those rooms in um in the Narnia mansion, um, saying, um, "I know." And the third time he did that, I was thinking, "Yeah, all right, this is really overcooking it." And I perhaps that's what people are referring to when they say to me, "Oh, I'm I'm finding his portrayal a little bit more irritating than I used to." Okay, so do you know what? Then let, let me let me ask a, a slightly different question. We really need to ask Michelle and Chip about this because what I've noticed this last season, so seasons five and six, is more of a focus on the states, more of a focus on America. And I'm wondering, has Stephen Moffat done the undoable with Doctor Who and begun to break America? <laughs> I think he's. Um, I don't think Moffat's part of it. I think it's the BBC being incredibly inventive in terms of where they get their money from these days. Uh, I mean, without going into, you know, stuff that we've already spoken about, about the licence fee and and all the rest of it, the BBC need to figure a way of making this show um, a commercial venture, which is why it's extremely confusing as to why they've decided to delay it, because they're delaying a whole load of income coming in. But anyway, I, I think it's interesting how they've decided to try and break America, or at least the marketing department and the brand manager's um, actions are, are worth taking a look at. And the amount of publicity season six got, Matt Smith was silhouetted on the side of buses in New York nice. before the Impossible Astronaut screens. That was groundbreaking stuff. That was really, really good. So yes, I do think there's an attempt to break into America, but the fans that they would have attracted through that marketing campaign, may well have dropped off when they realised they've got no new Doctor Who for at least nine months. This is, and this is why I'd want to ask an American about this, because I, I don't have the perspective. Are there more fans in America? How, how do casual fans in America take Doctor Who? Is it just some weird English guy in a blue box? I don't know. You know. Um, but can I, can I try and steer this around a little bit? Because you know, it, it, it was meant to be about Stephen Moffat. <laughs> it's a geek out. We can talk about anything. Well, okay. Well, the, 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 the one thing I'd like, the, the one last thing I'd like to throw into the mix about this then is Stephen Moffat is massively trusted not only by us but by the BBC. It seems because he's been given responsibilities for reinventing a couple of very important characters in the last few years. Um, we've got Jekyll. Um, he's had his hands in Tintin and quite and most lately Sherlock. Now mm. these are mm. three very important characters in well certainly in the child in my childhood anyway. You know they, they you know they turn up. They're, they're the most incredible characters. They're the largest characters. They're, they're, I won't say the most successful, but they're certainly the most. Uh, prof- they've had quite a profound effect on me. And of course the Doctor. So it's one thing to go to the internet and to and to find people complaining that and I'm not suggesting this is what you two are doing. Um, it's one thing to go to the internet and hear people complaining that Doctor Who's lost its way or it's not what we wanted or Stephen Moffat's killing Doctor Who. He's not. He's very, very, very good at bringing old characters, not, not if not even up to date, keeping them alive in a way that we understand and in a way which passes them on to a new generation of children. So to be really specific about it, is Moffat delivering? I, th- I don't think he knows how to fail. He, he's very, very good at what he does. I, I, I think you're right. And he's certainly got an ability to take something as iconic as Sherlock... Mm. And make it attractive because you think, well, you know, Sherlock, the whole thing and the whole premise of Sherlock is the era in which it was originally set by Conan Doyle, you know, steamy London. And Moffat goes, nah, I'm not going to bother with that. I'm just going to update it. And for me, that's a recipe for a failure. And yet you look at what he's done. Uh, It's absolutely phenomenally successful. And, And I love it. I really love it. He's taken all of the things about Sherlock, apart from his intelligence, and turn them on their heads completely and delivered a very, very compelling TV show. I don't think there's any question about Moffat being trusted by the BBC. 
What I concern myself over is Moffat burnout because I don't think any writer will say no to a high-profile project. Mm-hmm. No. and the, You just don't. The, the nature of a writer's career... It, I mean, it's so transitory. I mean, it's you can be writing three or four really popular shows one year and not have anything the next year. So my concern is that Moffat is going to keep saying yes, 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 and that he will end up having nothing left to do. And the Doctor Who may possibly suffer through him not getting any sleep. I mean, well, that's the worst possible scenario. Well, we've we've already had that discussion. I mean, I mean I, I'm of the very strong belief, despite what Moffat says and despite what the BBC may or may not say, that him doing all these other things has an effect, that we do end up with less Doctor Who in 2012 as a result. So, yeah, I kind of agree. Not, not, not so much burnout, but merely the fact that they want Moffat to do all these things, so they have to adjust the schedules of all these shows so that... Moffat can do Project X before he moves on to Project Y. And I'm not so sure whether it's because so he can do it. It's because he feels he can't turn it down. Yeah, I'm with and that. I, I, I don't blame him. I think any, any person in today's economic climate would be crazy Absolutely. to turn down a job. Yeah. And certainly a writer, mm. certainly someone in the entertainment industry, unless they're really, very financially secure... Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know how rich Moffat is. He's probably got a bit tucked away under the old mattress, but um, he'd be crazy to say, oh, no, I don't really want to do this high-profile BBC drama, please. You know, I'd, I'd rather sit around and think about Doctor Who for the next few months. Well, you, you're right. Davis, uh, but you know. bear in mind, the most immediate person Moffat is going to think of is his predecessor. Yep. And what has Russell T. Davies done yep. since he's left Doctor Who? Uh, Miracle Day. That was good. <laughs> Yes, um, I, I I know that RTD has had some personal issues as well, which means that he's been living in LA, he's been living in the UK again, he's come back quickly. But Moffat is going to remember the times when Russell T Davis was held on a pedestal by everybody. He was in control, you know, he knew exactly what he was doing. He had three very, very successful franchises, yeah, all, all spun off of Doctor Who, really, Um but he kind of went from being an extremely busy writer to not doing very much. Mm. And lots of people asked Russell T. Davies at the time, what are you going to do when you finish Doctor Who? I mean, the, the, the thing that we've, we've heard about in the last couple of weeks is this new venture he's got, uh, a new children's programme. But the whole concept to me is, is going to be, well, it's not quite the Sarah Jane adventures, is it? Mm, okay. you know? And Moffat's going to be looking in his rearview mirror, thinking, I've just got to say yes to everything. Well, I wonder, it, it would be nice to see Blake Seven again. It would be nice to see oh, the Tomorrow yes. People again. You know, come on, yes. Russell, you know, you, know, you know what we want. Um, but then again, giving the audience what they want is probably a, a short recipe to a disaster. But look, again, <laughs> St- Stephen Moffat, yes. I've got to say, what are the alternatives? Who are the alternatives? Who else could do this? Neil Gaiman? No. No, 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 no absolutely no. Th- not. There's a few. There is a few, actually. Mark I think Gatiss? Mark Yes. No. Mark Gatiss is one. No. Why, why not? He's a writer. He's not He's not Stephen Moffat. Okay, League of Gentlemen's fantastic. So is Stephen Moffat. Although Mark Gatiss is a very accomplished writer, I don't see I don't see him doing the production stuff like RTD, like Stephen Moffat. So I wonder if, I wonder if he's able to do it. I'm you know, sure he is. And I think that's exactly what he's doing by his involvement in Sherlock. I mean, he's credited as co-creator of Sherlock. <laughs> yeah, well, apart from the Conan Doyle bit, you know. Well, Conan Doyle might possibly <laughs> have something to say about that. But I, I, I think Gatiss is a possibility. I think Paul Cornell is a possibility. Mm. There, um, there are plenty of people out there who could do it. And put it this way, it is more than possible that if Moffat goes in a couple of years, and he's not going to be exec producer on Doctor Who forever, that we end up getting someone who is a complete unknown. Um, I mean, that is more than possible as well. You look at Matthew Graham... Now, I, I know he's not revered throughout Doctor Who fandom, but Life on Mars, Ashes to Ashes are his. He's devised an entire series, and you, you could argue that Stephen Moffat has borrowed very, very heavily uh, from Matthew Graham in the past. 
Well, if, if if Philip Glenister turns up as some sort of swearing policeman, then yeah, we'll know what's, we'll know what's going on there. Um, but, I, but I just think that there, at this point in time, there's no one better to be doing this. I, mean, I quite enjoyed the Russell T Davies years. I've got to be honest, um, and and whatever else he did, like John Nathan Turner, you know, he polarised his opinion. But those two men had a very difficult job to do. One had to keep the show alive, and the other had to bring it back. And do you know what? They're almost interchangeable in that because both had to do both of those things. So I, I, I'm kind of grateful to to. RTD for a number of things in that respect but I just don't see anyone else that could be doing this as well as Stephen oh, Moffat and- no I, I can't see anyone who could do it the same as Stephen Moffat you'll probably disagree with me Tom but you, but you sound like that you don't really want to embrace change um, you're, oh, you're incredibly happy with the Stephen <laughs> Moffat era and you know all, all power to you but mm. if Stephen Moffat got run over by a series of buses tomorrow or with Matt Smith plastered on the side um, <laughs> then I'm, I'm sure there would be someone that could jump into the fray and it would be a different show oh. and, and it would be interesting to see whether the show would survive as a result there will be someone after Stephen Moffat um, yeah. The I think what I've got in my in, in the forefront of my mind is the central question: Is Moffat delivering? And I'm thinking, yes, absolutely, he is. I mean, I've, I've stopped going into that internet forum because it's just it's just <laughs> it, I don't know what's happened. It's just it, suddenly it's it's just made me angry to read some of the some of the posts. I don't know why. We do, we do need to make it clear that you're not referring to our forums, are you? Tom? No, God, no. It's, all, it's, it's quite fun and now. I quite like it and, and um, very enjoyable. I mean, it, and it's not that I don't it's not that I don't like to hear other people's opinions, but some of it is just so crazy. I mean, so, really yeah. crazy. Like I said at the beginning, there's different questions here. Is Moffat delivering? Yes, the ratings are showing that he is because it's still getting what eight or nine million yeah. people, which yeah, yeah. in in today's climate is a fair chunk. Is Moffat delivering? Well, maybe he isn't. Maybe people are getting turned off. Some of the more casual viewers are getting turned off by the labyrinth plots by by Matt Smith being kooky. Is Moffat delivering? Yes, he's providing Doctor Who fans with the sort of story they want, the ongoing arcs that mould very well into in ways that TV is made today. Yeah. People want that sort of Lost-type story that, that they can consume over a year or two years. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question that has a lot of answers. Definitely. Let's take a look at Russell T Davies' equivalent timeline. If we look just after two years after Russell T Davies had taken over, we just watched The Runaway Bride. We're at that point now in the Moffat era. So if we had the Doctor Who podcast existed after The Runaway Bride and we'd have said, is Russell T Davies delivering? How would the two of you have responded to that? I see. I, I, I don't make a secret of this. I really liked The Runaway Bride. I really no, not just The Runaway Bride. I mean, the, the, the two years prior to that. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd say the show was running. Um, I've got to be honest, season three is my least favourite season. It's the Mine most... Mine too. Uh, it's you know it, it's technically accomplished. The performances are strong. There are old monsters. There are new monsters. The lead characters are good. But the third series, third season, just kind of left me cold a little bit, to be honest with you. And it's not about any one thing. But then again, it picked up massively with uh, season four, the introduction of Catherine Tate. So, if the question had been, was RTD delivering at the end of season two and after the, that Christmas special, I'd have said yes, and I would I would still be quite happy because Billy's gone. And that whole Rose thing is, is now finished. It's over. It's done. I'm, I'm pleased about that. Um, the Runaway mm. Bride has been entertaining. It's been good Christmas stuff. Um, if you'd asked me at the end of season three, is he delivering? I would have said, I've enjoyed the season less than I enjoyed the, previ- the previous two. And I would be interested to see what would happen if we had a new showrunner. Is where I would be at the end of season three. I was kind of at that point at the end of series two. Because, I mean, if you look at some of the stories in that, I mean, you've got mm. some of the least regarded stories in all of modern Who... Fear Her, Love and Monsters. Um, you know, you, you've got the slightly weaker stories like Idiot's Lantern mm. and then you've got Army of Ghosts and Doomsday, which which on some levels uh, wasn't really what people were looking for in Doctor Who. But then when you get to Series 3, some of the really interesting stories start kicking in. I mean, my favourite tenant stories in Series 3, uh, Human Nature and Family of Blood. Mm. Mm. Um, you, you start getting a lot more of a consistent field of the show, so... Mm. I suppose, if you'd ask me, what did I think of Doctor Who or was RTD delivering after Runaway Bride, I would say no. But, Mm. yeah, probably after Series 3, I would probably start saying, well, yeah, he's starting to get there. How strange. I I think I'm more with Tom there. I I, I think after Series 2, I I was quite pleased with what was going on. I, I think I'm in a better place now with Stephen Moffat's reign. 
um, than I was with RTD. But I, I didn't have a problem with Fear Her. Um, and I didn't have a problem with Love and Monsters either. In fact, Love and Monsters, I think, is one of the best pieces of television of 2006. It's just unfortunate that um, so many Doctor Who fans didn't particularly like that style. Good Lord. Ever. If we had membership cards here in the camp of N. James, I would ask you to hand yours in. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we're a democracy here, Trevor. Um, <laughs> but I think season three, it, it's weird because I, I, I used the word extremes earlier to describe Moffat's range. And season three, for me, has got extremes as well and I absolutely adore pretty much anything from human nature onwards with the exception of Last of the Time Lords um, I, I think the finale to series two was was amazing I think Doomsday and Army of Ghosts Daleks v Cybermen and Russell T Davies right in one of his best emotional plot lines ever I thought it was superb I was really looking forward to season three but um, Stephen Moffat I think has been consistent he's been very clear about the tone and the kind of story mm. that he wants to tell at the beginning of both season five and season six. Season five was, here's Matt Smith, or here's the 11th Doctor, and here's his companion. Get to know them. And he threw, you know, he, he interwove a few plot points that he revisited the following year. Impossible Astronaut, you cannot set a stall out clearer this is going to be an entire season long story is going to be lots of plot twists along the way and he delivered i would say in for the most part he delivered now who knows what season seven is gonna uh, set out in its first couple of episodes i mean rumor has it that it's not going to be anything like season five or season six and if that's the case so long as it's not like 2011 Christmas special, I'm happy with that. I would like to see some more standalone stories, but I want to see good stories. And I want to see some... If, if you're going to get people like Bill Bailey, let's really use them. Give them something meaty to get into. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to season seven, but I'm also not too concerned, given we've got such a long time uh, before we get to uh, before we get to see it. But, but how are you two feeling now about season seven? Um, having seen what he's done in season five, seeing the way that he twisted it so much in season six, what are you expecting from Moffat now? I'm... Um, well, I, I think he's come out and said already, hasn't he, that um, the, the stories we're getting this year are going to be primarily standalone stories. Do I remember reading that somewhere, I think? He has implied it. He hasn't yeah. said it clearly, but I am concerned if he's going to be using the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe as a template for Season 7. I've got to be honest, one of the things that I am seeing more of from Stephen Moffat is the return to closed doors, to secrecy, to not actually leaking what's going on before the show to shows up. I mean, I know that with the internet, it's a lot harder to keep things under wraps. And, uh, well, they start filming officially this week. So, was it February the 9th? So, the chances that we'll, are that we'll start to see bits of script or bits of filming and bits of dialogue just bleeding out onto the internet through any number of sources. But I quite like that I've been... It's been harder for me to find out or hear by accident what's going on uh, in Doctor Who than ever before. It was relatively easy with Russell T Davies, and I think that was kind of, I won't say it was a deliberate move, but it's helpful to have papers and speculation and lots of lots of publicity and noise around your show. Um, but when um, when the Dobby Doctor was revealed in the sun, that was the hardest it got for me. I mean, that, that, that was really quite poor. Um, and then when I heard some of M uh, Matt Smith delivering some of his first lines from Victory of the Daleks, um, it, to me it was electrifying, but I was slightly disappointed that I could hear it. But I've noticed that it's got gradually harder and harder and harder to hear stuff from the production team. And do you know what? I love that. I really like that. I don't want. I don't really want. I, part of me wants to find out because you know we we sometimes think that information is a uh, a right rather than a privilege. Um, but there's but there's part of me that's like, great. I'm not actually going to know what's happening. And although you know we're lucky on the podcast, you know we do have access to information, which is fantastic. I still liked sitting down on Christmas Day. Um, not knowing what on earth was going to happen. I love that about Stephen Moffat's era in Doctor Who. So what do you think you're going to get in season seven? Do you, do you think it's going to be something completely different? Or is it going to be, you know, as far as you're concerned, the more shrouded in mystery it's going to be, the better? Well, I think the end of, se the end of season six is a clear reset to Doctor Who. 
which is for me is fantastic. I know that we're going to get a new companion, um, and so with a new companion comes a new dynamic, and with a new dynamic comes a new show. I'm kind of with you in your predictions, in as much as I don't think we're going to see Matt Smith for much beyond 2013. So I think we're climbing um, the ro- we're climbing the roller coasters to the top, and it's now going to be the bit, this incredible ride where we go flying down into the 50th anniversary uh, and to the end of the 11th Doctor. Mm. Trevor. Yeah, I, I would tend um, to agree. Um, I think it would be wonderful, um, would be and I'm really hoping that the reset, as Tom calls it at the end of Series 6, is actually going to be a reset, mm. that we're going to get away maybe from having these long arcs throughout our season and just get down to telling some decent, I suppose, bottle stories to a certain extent. I mean, I know we've had our ups and downs with these so-called bottle stories during this era, but... Um, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for us to start dispensing with all the baggage of the convoluted plots and, you know, just start telling a nice little 45, 50-minute story each week and then move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be the first time in a little while that we'd have seen stories told like that. As I said, I, I've said it, this is probably the third time I've said it this podcast now, but we've got another nine months or so to wait. So when we start watching you, Doctor Who, I, w- I wonder whether or not Moffat's going to do something even as... I don't know. Maybe he's going to change a title sequence or, or possibly the music again mid, mid-era. You never know. It's, it's going to be the biggest break that we've had in Doctor Who. Um, if you don't include the Christmas special for 2011 since the gap year, really. Uh, we're really being made to wait for our Doctor Who this time. So I expect something big when it's back <laughs> i really want something different we've got to put everything in context you know the more context we have the easier it is to understand things and the more and the more layers emerge 2012 is a big year for the united kingdom we've got the um the queen's golden jubilee we've got the olympics and the world will be watching so also who knows what's going to happen because of that there's going to be some some, some real triumph and there's a danger of some real tragedy too but we shall see but also one of our greatest exports or one of our greatest heroes uh, fictional heroes anyway the doctor begins to turn 50 and th- that season starts this year so when you say will the ch- title sequence change i'd feel cheated if it didn't yeah, I, re- I agree. You know, it, it's a big, <laughs> it's a big year for the UK, and it's a beginning of a big year for Doctor Who mm. too. So yeah, I've got. I would hope that the sequence changes. I, I do think that plans are fairly developed now, and that you can tell because I mean, fandom is 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 a big thing, and you expect an awful lot of fans to sit there and speculate what's going to happen, what's going to happen. But we, we live in the era now where you've got people who are involved to a certain degree uh, within Doctor Who. I'm, I'm thinking of people like um, Tom Spilsbury over at Doctor Who magazine um, and lots of other writers as well. And they all they all want to say things like, I know what's going to happen, it's going to be brilliant. But of course I can't tell you. You know, you've got some people like... Um, you know, like Stephen Moffat, like Mark Gatiss, and I don't think they try and tease people. But if you follow the right people on Twitter, you can figure out who is in the know. Um, and I think the things that we can take from all of that is that plans have been in place for some time, and the plans are beginning to be played out now. And I think, yes, it all starts, Tom, as you say, when filming begins in a couple of weeks' time, mm. Mm. or in a week or so's time. But it doesn't finish until the end of next year. Mm. And I think we're going to see something, as I said before, that involves the show's past to a degree that we've never seen before. It's going to be extremely celebratory. And, and, and let's hope they don't mess it up. I'm sure they won't. Do you know, I'm staying with my prediction. We're going to, I think the only way we can really, 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 really blow this up is to have the, doc, the first Doctor as a young man. That's what I'm saying. I'm stay, I'm so staying with that. But of course, the other thing um, that I'd, I'd expect to see would be a certain brown jacket and a pair of Converse wandering around the console room again. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, when Tom, Trevor, and I got into the camper van this morning, apart from the fact that it was a complete mess, because clearly Ian, Leeson, and Michelle aren't necessarily as tidy as we've become, guys, um, there were CDs scattered everywhere. Tom Baker CDs, to be precise, more big finish audios. And I think talking about it over the last couple of weeks gave them a real appetite for Tom Baker because they've gone back and taken a listen to Hornet's Nest. Hello, this is Ian and Michelle, and this week we've been tasked with taking a look at Hornet's Nest by Paul Mars. 
This is uh, an audiobook that was released by BBC Audiobooks a couple years ago, starring Tom Baker as the fourth doctor and Richard Franklin as uh, Mike Yates. So, Ian, what did you think about this one? This was actually one of the first Doctor Who audios I listened to before I really discovered Big Finish. And to be honest, it's amazing that I actually stuck with it to the point where I'm now doing these reviews because I found this a real struggle. I had a real problem with the way the story was actually constructed. It starts off with Mike Yates narrating a fairly normal standing audio drama and then at a certain point the Doctor starts talking to Mike and then it goes into some flashbacks. But at the same time he's still talking to Mike and the whole structure of it I ended up getting very confused over because... The conceit within the story is that he's retelling a story to Mike, but he's very clearly doing an audio drama to the audience with the embellishments you'd expect of that. And when you think of it as him talking to Mike, you don't talk to people that way, and it it doesn't make sense. I would agree with you completely in terms of that perspective. This is kind of a strange beast. It's a cross between an audio drama, like you would hear with Big Finish, and an audio book where an actor is simply reading something literary. And... I think it suffers for that. Certainly the times when the doctor is doing his long narrations. I also struggled with the idea that the doctor would tell that much about his adventures. He always seems a little more secretive than that to me, and so it felt a little out of character. Yes, and the way he embellishes the thing that he's talking about. The dialogue is incredibly rich, over-the-top rich, in how things are described and in the detail with which the Doctor goes into, and actually becomes quite wearing after a while because every single description is laboured. It's interesting. I probably would not have chosen to listen to this a second time had James not tasked us with reviewing it for the podcast. And yet, when I picked it up and listened to it again, I will admit that I enjoyed it more the second time around. And maybe it's a function of knowing what to expect ahead of time, but I was able to enjoy it much more the second time around than I was the first time. I still don't think it's a particularly strong story. The other main problem I had with this is that Tom Baker doesn't sound like the fourth Doctor. Obviously it's his voice, but the lines he's given and the way he delivers them sounds more like Tom Baker being Tom Baker. In fact, listening to it a second time, I was reminded of some of his Little Britain work where he was going massively over the top and becoming a caricature of himself. I improvised a rather nifty flamethrower using some kind of aerosol spray and a box of Cook's matches. Then I had the bleach out, and I dashed it at the wicked little monsters. That made them squeal. And then, during a lull in all the action, it struck me. I was under attack by the cast of a crazed version of The Wind in the Willows. I do feel differently about Richard Franklin, on the other hand. I think one of the best things in Hornet's Nest is Richard Franklin's performance, which seemed much more natural and much more believable. Of course, he was never given the long sections of narration that Tom Baker was, but uh, I will give him credit for his performance. I think Richard's work in this is good. I think he's underused. He doesn't appear an awful lot. Also, his role was originally supposed to have been the brigadier, and there are times when that shows up because the things that the Doctor is going to Mike Yates for and the things he's discussing with him don't really make a lot of sense for Captain Yates's character, who, of course, was disgraced in the series. Whereas when you take Mike out and drop the brigadier in, it makes perfect sense. Yes, that's exactly what the Doctor would want the brigadier for. I was left with the impression that I really, really hoped Tom Baker would someday accept work with Big Finish because I, I just had this faith in Big Finish that they would get the things right that didn't go right in here. I have actually listened to the first of the Big Finish Tom Baker stories and they do show into sharp relief a lot of the failings of Hornet's Nest. One of the interesting things that I picked up when I was at Big Blue Box and saw the Hornet's Nest team talking about these dramas, everyone knows that Tom Baker can be quite an over-the-top eccentric performer and needs a pretty firm hand to direct and control him. And I really believe that in the Hornet's Nest series, they let him run riot. And in fact, an interesting anecdote that they told on the panel... The whole concept of Nest Cottage, which is this little cottage in Sussex where these stories are set, and Mrs Wibsey, the sort of semi-companion that's the housekeeper there, apparently that was all Tom Baker's idea when they had the initial discussions. And I do get the feeling that an awful lot of what went on here was Tom being given reign to do what he wanted to do. But when Big Finish did it, you can feel a much tighter control and someone giving direction to pull him back to the 70s. And I think Big Finish hit the nail right on the head. And to be honest, that is the true return of Tom Baker to the Doctor Who fold. I think that the Hornet's Nest series is almost a Tom Baker audio drama of its own in a separate universe from Doctor Who. 
As the night air came whirling in through the broken kitchen windows, freezing the cottage right through, the battle redoubled, and I turned into some kind of savage being, protecting home and hearth from the wild beasts. Really, Mike, you would hardly have recognized me. Ultimately, it was uh, a bit of a disappointment, but glad to hear that the hopes for the Big Finish audios may have been realized. I don't think the plot structure hangs together all that well either, and as the sequence went on, I found myself getting increasingly frustrated at the logical inconsistencies. But if you want to listen to Tom being Tom, there's a certain enjoyment to be had from that. And of course, I must say, thank you very much to Ian and Michelle uh, for recording that lovely piece. Um, also, thank, also, guys, I, I must direct you to the Facebook page where Ian is very active uh, and where you can find lots of other Doctor Who podcast fans for interesting discussions. I think interesting discussions is the way to go with that one. Hmm. hmm. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Well, I think that might be about it for another episode of the Doctor Who podcast, guys, unless either the two of you have got anything interesting to say. Well, no, I didn't have anything to say when we started. Not much chance of that, no. <laughs> Wonderful. Good. Oh. In that case, then. No. Oh, oh, Trevor's had an idea. No, no, oh, Trevor. It's me, it's me, it's me. Um, oh, I've got Trevor. to say, um, Duncan, Duncan, if you can hear me, it's me. It's Tom from Farnborough. Hello, Duncan. Hope you're well. <laughs> now, if that doesn't scare you, listeners, nothing will. Um, <laughs> before we lead off, before we lead off, one thing I do want to say: um, we've been extremely slow and dry on the feedback side of things, guys. Um, now, on one side, this is really good because there was a point when I was having real difficulty managing a DWP inbox, but it's got to the point now where the listeners are there. As I said, we've got a huge amount of listeners now but you're not sending us any feedback. And uh, that might be because we haven't asked for any recently. I'm not sure. But do feel free to drop a couple of lines to us about anything Doctor Who related, anything Doctor Who podcast related. And at this moment in time, it stands an extremely good chance of being read out on a future show. And the email address, as I'm sure you know, really, is feedback at the Doctor Who podcast dot com. Actually, what I would ask for, ladies and gentlemen, um, is can we have some feedback about how you would like to see the show celebrate the 50th anniversary? I'd be really interested to hear what people would like to see on their TVs or in the media around the, doctor, uh, the Doctor's 50th birthday. Well, I say 50th birthday, mm. the show's 50th birthday. So yeah, what, 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 how would you like to see that celebrated? That's a pretty it's got to have a scene with the Doctor mm. with a big cake blowing out candles. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that's, allowed that's to feature gotta Albert Square. In any way, form. <laughs> oh, <dear>. form. <laughs> yes. And we'll be back next week. Well, actually, we won't be back next week because Trev is kicking Tom and I out the caravan again. Trevor, who have you got in next week? Oh, well, next week we have uh, the delightful Chip and the even more delightful Michelle. Um, they're lucky enough to be going to the Gallifrey 23 convention uh, in, in, a, in about a week or so's time. So they're going to come along just a few days out from when the convention starts and make me incredibly jealous that I'm not going and describe to me all the fantastic things that will be going on uh, at the convention. So if you're going and you want to know what's happening or if you're not going and you're still on the fence, then next week's show is the one for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, that sounds like one that I'm going to avoid as well um, because I'm <laughs> going to be sick otherwise. <laughs> so, okay, that's about it, guys. I suppose we yep. ought to say... Goodbye. All right. See you next week. Take it easy. See you soon. Bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. Thank you.